Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And on today's episode, we have our guest who's actually in Mexico. Her name is Gabriela Lindsay, and she has a website called La Vida Lindsay. And uh, La Vida Lindsay is her chronicles of her travels and especially about their uh, departure from the U.S. and their relocation into Mexico. Uh, so I'll be asking uh, uh, Gabriela about her history as a traveler, about how she makes money online, and about uh, specifically about travel and living and lifestyle in Mexico. Uh, so uh, Gabriela, tell us a little bit about Mexico and uh, uh, how is it there, and a little bit about your backstory of what brought you there. Okay, well, hi. Um, thanks so much, Ricky. I appreciate it. Um, my family and I have been here in Mexico since October of 2016. Um, we were, my husband and I, we have three small children, um, and we were living in a small suburb outside of Chicago. And um, my father has been coming to this area, Mazatlan, for, um, and living here for about 26 years or so. And um, my mother moved down here um, about eight years ago. And right around the time my husband and I got married, and um, they just really loved it. It's a beautiful place. It's beautiful um, culture, way of life. We're about a, right on the Pacific coast. And so my mother passed away actually last year in February. And um, very unexpectedly, I talked to her on Monday, and on Wednesday, I got a phone call that she had passed. And so in receiving that phone call, that really kind of gave my husband and I kind of kind of a wake-up call. We had been talking about um, wanting to move out of the country, wanting to get away, wanting to kind of change our um, our lifestyle. You know, we were both working, um, we were both, you know, full-time jobs. We had the kids. We were putting kind of like our best hours into our jobs, really, and kind of just leaving whatever was left. You know, we'd get home by 7 o'clock and it was a race to get dinner done and food and showers taken and get to bed so we could just wake up and do it all over again. And, um, you know, with her passing, we just kind of realized, you know, the important thing for us was really to put um, time and energy into our family. And so um, we decided to just take the leap. So, um, like I said, she passed in February. In July, we took a trip down uh, here to Mazatlan just to see kind of, we kind of put it into the universe. You know, if we get there, we find a house or an apartment that we love. Um, you know, we'll be there for two weeks. My dad's here. My, uh, my sister is here. Her new baby, she just had a baby in September. You know, we figured, you know, if, some, if it all falls into place, it all falls into place and it's meant. And um, when we came down, we found a great house. Um, and so we put our house in Chicago on the market and made some moves. And within three months, we were, we were here in Mexico. So, um, yeah, so uh, he left his full-time job. He was working as a, um, as a postdoctoral fellow at a university. He left his position. Um, we pulled the kids out of daycare, and <laughs> we mm -hmm. narrowed down our 3,600-square-foot home into 10 suitcases <laughs> and a few carry-on bags. And we, you know, we're here in October. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of what brought us down here, just you know, realizing what really mattered to us and what that was, was you know, having more time with family, more time with our kids, um, being more attentive and loving to one another as well as to you know, our kids, and also to spend more time with my dad. So Definitely some uh, uh, great reasons for uh, traveling and for relocating. And uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, that had to happen for you. Uh, some people wait until it's too late, and uh, you know, with, with you, you've decided while you're young, while your kids are young, to live out your dreams, uh, which is to, uh, to live in Mexico, to be close to your dad, and uh, 
to really uh, raise your kids differently. So good on you um, for uh, making that decision uh, because a lot of us uh, are stuck in that rat race you mentioned, uh, uh, spending the most important days and times and moments married to work instead of married to a spouse <laughs> and uh, focused on our kids. So uh, I'm glad uh, you and uh, myself as well, I, I also left the rat race, um, not the American dream, but the Canadian dream uh, to uh, travel around the world. So uh, I'm going to definitely do a deeper dive into your story about uh, moving to Mexico. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to have the idea, but it's a whole other thing to plan, prepare, do the logistics and actually arrive. Uh, so take us through that journey of the logistical, uh, the mental, uh, the emotional preparation? Well, it was, it was definitely a journey. Um, you know, the first thing, you know, like I mentioned, when we came in July, we, um, you know, we looked at classified ads. We drove around the neighborhoods to find, you know, an apartment. I think we looked at, I think we looked at 10 or 12 houses first uh, before we finally chose the one we wanted. And getting a lease in another country, you know, each country is different, but here we actually were really blessed and lucky to have um, a family friend who was a Mexican national who was able to sign because we needed a co-signer despite the fact that we had, you know, we had proof of income, we had the funds, we still needed a Mexican national mm -hmm. to co-sign our lease. Um, so he did that for us. Um, and then we returned home and when as soon as we got home, we contacted, um, we contacted a realtor to put our home on the market. Um, and then we just slowly but surely went through room by room by room um, of the house, you know, really trying to figure out what was the, the least amount of stuff that we would need to, um, you know, in order to move. We made the decision, um, you know, we had to sell our cars. We had to make the decision, do we want to drive down? And we went, this was, this was a big one. We went back and forth. Do we drive? Do we fly? Do we sell the cars? Do we keep one car? We had two at the time. Um, and so up until about a month before we left, we were driving down. Um, and so um, then when we realized with the visa laws, you have to return back stateside every six months to renew the car license. And it's about a, it's about a 14 hour drive back to the States. It was not something we wanted to do every six months with the kids. Um, so we sold the car as well, but definitely um, it was a journey. And actually on my website, um, on Lavita Lindsay, I have, um, I wrote out like a four month, month by month guide actually of, as to all the things, very specifically a little checklist that you can use to help you kind of figure out what needs to go, what needs to stay, contacting movers if you need to contact a mover or if you're just going to sell everything. We used, um, we used Craigslist, we used Facebook, um, and actually right down to the last couple weeks we had a going away slash takeaway party. So we invited <laughs> everybody to the house. We ordered, I think, pizza or something and had some wine and had all of our friends and family come over and we set up our house like a garage sale. Um, <laughs> Um, we set all of, you know, the kids clothes were in one area, jewelry was in another, furniture was, you know, we kind of moved everything around and told everybody, anything that you see, just put some money in a donation box and take it, or just take it, whatever you feel like. Um, and so that really helped us get rid of kind of the last bit of stuff. And then we were lucky enough to contact, um, I believe it was the Epilepsy Foundation. They took donations. And so they brought a truck um, and kind of took out the very last bit of stuff. We still have a storage unit, about a five by five storage unit in Lansing, um, the city we were living in. I have some antique um, china and things from my grandmother that I wasn't quite um, ready to part with. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it. So we do have that storage unit. But other than that, we just pared everything down to suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, I can definitely relate that on so many angles. We did the same party that you did. Uh, it was uh, take whatever you want, give whatever you want. And people took whatever they want, and then we got some extra cash. And if they didn't, when we blessed them with some new stuff that we didn't need. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, uh, how did you ship all your stuff? Because the, uh, it's one thing to drive, like you said. Uh, you haul it down, but uh, it looks like you actually flew down. And how did you get to all of your stuff down there? So we, you know, there's five of us. So the plane allowed each of us two suitcases, basically. Mm. So we went and purchased the biggest suitcases we could find <laughs> yeah. um, and just were very strategic about packing, you know, as much as we could. I mean, I would argue literally we came down with clothes and that's really about it. My one son, um, he has eosinophilic esophagitis, which is a very severe food allergy. And so he has some special uh, medications and needs and things like that, that we can only get in the States. Um, so we, you know, planned for, I think one suitcase was like mostly his, you know, some of his medications and formula and stuff like that. Um, but we pretty much just had, you know, our clothes and our shoes. Luckily, kids' clothes, you know, they grow out of them so quickly. Um, so I didn't really have to bring a whole lot of stuff for them. Um, you know, we brought some books, but yeah, 10 suitcases um, between the, the 10 of us. And I think they were about $50 a piece. So, I mean, we definitely spent, <laughs> we definitely spent some money on the suitcases. But when we went to UPS to try to ship a box, I wanted to bring some plates. I went to ship a box at UPS and I think it was almost $700. Um, wow. And they weren't even guaranteed that it would get through customs. So after mm. we packed the box up and got it there and they said, it's, it's not worth your money or your time. We just decided we just got to take what we can and, um, you know, figure out the rest when we get here. And there's a lot of mm -hmm. stuff you can get once you get abroad. I think a lot of people worry about their creature mm -hmm. comforts and that when we get somewhere, oh, they won't have toothpaste and they won't have deodorant and they won't have clothes. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, people brush their teeth in other countries too. You'll find some toothpaste. Don't worry about it. So... <laughs> Yeah, and, I, and the other thing is the weather. I mean, uh, definitely Mexico doesn't get as cold as over there in Chicago. So you probably got rid of a lot of your winter and cold, uh, cold weather attire. We really did, and actually wound up having to. We wound up having to buy things because mm. we didn't have quite. You know, it gets warm in Chicago, but it gets really hot here. So you know, mm. we didn't have as many shorts and tank tops and sandals as you know you need. So it wound up working out well. You're here, uh, you've been there for a few months uh, already. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how has it been uh, based on how you thought it would be. So the reality versus the dream. Yeah, it was, it's been different. Um, I, you know, my biggest piece of advice has always been, you know, since we've been here, when people have asked me about it is, you know, uh, living somewhere is not like vacationing there. Right. You know, when you come to a new country and you stay on a resort, or even when you just stay in a nice hotel and you kind of go do the touristy things and you eat at restaurants, it's very different than when you move. Um, one thing that I've learned is patience. I mean, that's been a big, big change in my life is being patient. I'm used to, you know, getting things done very quickly. And here, you know, things, things might, you know, might be a couple of days before you can get your water running or a couple of days before the gas is back on or you have to go pay bills in person. You know, you can't just set up, you know, your automatic bill pay here. You have to actually take, you know, wait for the bill to come in the mail, get the bill, go to the store, pay the bill, you know, with cash. Um, you know, so little things like that definitely have taken some adjustment. The language has taken some adjustment. We're doing well with the language, but, you know, still not being able to communicate as fully you know, as you right. would in your native language has definitely been, um, you know, something to adjust to. But, 
you know, we've, I'd been visiting Mazatlan for about 10 years prior. So I had some kind of, um, that was one of the, another reason we chose Mazatlan is we had some comfort level with it. We, you know, both my husband and I have been here before. So, um, we had some expectation, but definitely living is definitely different than, you know, vacationing for sure. Absolutely. I'm, um, I'm from Vancouver, BC, Canada, but I've lived on four continents now. I lived in Japan teaching English, then I lived in Europe on a working holiday, then I studied in Australia, and definitely it's so much different uh, than uh, being a traveler because all of a sudden you got to open up bank accounts, you got to uh, get cell phones, uh, you got to uh, live and breathe and work and pay taxes and all these things that you don't do as just a regular traveler. Exactly. So how has it been for your kids? I mean, you mentioned you have three young kids. Uh, tell us a little bit about the adjustments uh, they had to face and also as a result you had to face. <laughs> yeah, we do. We have three small kids um, who are now uh, six. One just turned five, and then the littlest will be four in August. So um, when we first came, they were very excited, um, but they didn't really get that we weren't going back home. They just thought that this was like a really great vacation. So for the first couple months, they're like, so when are we going back to the empty house? Because that's what they started calling it. We're going uh, back the to empty the house. empty house. Yeah. When are we going back to the empty house? Um, but they've adjusted well. The first month when we got here, our plan was to homeschool. And um, after about three weeks, we both, my husband and I both realized we were not putting into them as much as we needed to because we were trying to kind of build our businesses and it was just, it was difficult. So we mm. reached out to a, a friend of ours who had their, has their children enrolled in a Mexican private school. And so we actually wound up enrolling our kids about a month and a half into our journey. And it's a full Spanish, full day language immersion and we just kind of tossed them in. Well. And um, <laughs> they got to audit the class for a week, um, you know, which was nice. The school let them come in for about a week and kind of get a feel for it. But every single day in the afternoons, they never wanted to come home. They wanted to stay. They loved it. They loved their friends. They loved their teachers. Um, and they adjusted well. I mean, at first they had a little difficulty. They'd come home. They had accidents. You know, why did you pee on yourself? I didn't know how to tell her in Spanish that I had to go pee. I'm like, okay. So we had to kind of like help them through, you know, certain little basics um, at home, especially. Um, but they've adjusted really well. Um, they are, they have a lot of friends. They go to birthday parties. Birthdays are a big thing here. So every week it seems we're going to a birthday party or they're celebrating at school with their friends. Um, they're picking up the language really quickly, especially because they're, you know, they're in a classroom. They only take English twice a week for about an hour. Um, and so it's kind of that throwing them in process kind of, you know, it's a, what is it? You just got to fight, fight to survive sort of, but they're so, um, kids are just so amazingly like flexible <laughs> and like we, we worry about them, but I think we're worried about ourselves more. <laughs> like, you know, we have a harder time as adults adjusting than kids do. You know, play is universal. Friendship is universal. You don't need a language to play. You don't need a language to share. You know, you can just... They figure it out. They figure themselves out. So they're doing really, really well. Um, we're adjusting well too. The school has been a good resource for us to make friends. Um, you know, especially local friends. Sometimes you get stuck in those expat enclaves. You know, sometimes. Mm. Um, but we've made a lot of local friends through the school as well. So. 
Sounds good. I definitely need that support network um, of expats and locals. I mean, uh, it's good to connect with expats because then you can complain about uh, <laughs> about the issues that you guys are all facing together, the homesickness, the loneliness, uh, the lack of community, the difficulties with the Latino culture, et cetera. So uh, definitely it helps to have both. Uh, what are some of your cultural uh, shocks? I mean, uh, uh, the U.S. and Mexico are neighbors, but worlds apart in terms of culture and uh, a standard of living, um, you know, American versus Latino culture, etc. So tell us a little bit about the cultural differences that you particularly struggled with, have noticed at a higher degree as, uh, as expat living there now. Um, well, one of the things, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a struggle, but just something we've noticed um, here in Mazatlan, especially, you know, I'll talk specifically about Mazatlan. Um, something that I've noticed is that um, families, it's very different families really stick together, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And they, you know, live in the same homes. We're so used to having, you know, these big spread out homes where every kid has their own bedroom and sometimes they even have their own bathroom. You know, whereas here we've gone to some of our friends' homes and we've gone to maybe their parents' homes. And, you know, we realize there's 10 people living in, you know, just a two bedroom, you know, apartment or a two room apartment for that matter. Um, so that's definitely been, you know, something we've adjusted, you know, had to adjust to just explaining to our kids, especially like, why do they live in such a small place? Or, you know, why do they have this? Or why do they have that? Or why is their couch, you know, maybe not as upkept as our couch, you know, things like that, you know, because things might be a little bit older. Um, another thing we've noticed too, um, and I, I noticed this with the kids is um, the rate of, there are people here who have, um, I believe, polio. And so we'll see folks on the street, you know, who are maybe, um, you know, very what might look like a physical handicap asking for money or, you know, trying to work, you know, maybe selling something on the set. And it's definitely a very work-centered culture. People will try to, you know, sell little things, not just asking for handouts all the time. But, you know, having, those converse, having to have those conversations with the kids as they're becoming more and more kind of aware of differences and, you know, keeping them from, you know, what's that? And, you know, pointing at things or, right. you know, giggling and having to have those conversations has definitely been different. I also notice the little girls here are much more mature than um, what I'm accustomed to for my daughter. So um, they will wear, you know, eyelashes and makeup at six um, and high heels wow. at six um, and sometimes fake hair extensions at six. Um, and so that's been kind of a struggle between her and I because she wants to, you know, look like her friends. She wants <laughs> to, you know, wear lipstick or have this and that. And, you know, it's culturally for me, that's not a priority, you know, like she's six and I, I like her being six. <laughs> so, you know, that's definitely been a little bit different too, but um, you know, it's all adjustment. I wouldn't say there's anything specific that I can complain about per se that I'm unhappy about. Just, just different, you know? Different in a good way. So Gabriella, tell us about uh, how it was to move around the time of the U.S. election, and obviously there's a little bit of political tensions with the current president and Mexican citizens. Uh, so I'm really curious to hear how it's like from the other side of the border, because uh, we hear about it from kind of the American standpoint, but tell us about how it is to live in the Trump era from in, within Mexico? Well, it has been interesting. I think, um, you know, we see there have been a few parades, you know, um, Carnival came by, we had, you know, our annual Carnival, there's been some mm. other parades. And um, during those times, there have definitely been some Trump pinatas. Um, and there's an event during Carnival where they, um, it's, the, it's the day of, um, 
I'm trying to see how to pronounce uh, how to translate it into English, but it's a the day of bad bad vibes or something, I guess is how it would translate. And what they do is they usually burn someone, a, a, an image of someone in effigy. And it's to get rid of all of the bad spirits that that person is, you know, putting onto the country or into the area. And Trump was this year's, um, <laughs> Trump was this year's effigy that they burned. So wow. definitely, you know, there's a lot of people here who have family who are in the United States and who are perhaps undocumented and um, are, you know, there's that concern for their their safety for their being you know you know deported out of the country um, there is a large expat population here as well um, mm. and so that's a little bit mixed which I find interesting there are definitely folks who are very pro-trump um, wow. and also living in Mexico which that's been an interesting conversation to have when mm -hmm. You know, Trump is very anti-Mexico and very anti, you know, the immigration and emigration of people. And but you're here, so it's kind of like <laughs> you know that, that kind of back and forth. Like, but you love Trump, but you're here, um, which that's been an interesting conversation to have. But um, I think for the most part, you know, my husband and I, I think also being um, you know expats of color has been you know another consideration that has been you know taken into account by you know locals I don't know although we're Americans and we're definitely viewed as Americans I think being Americans of color has kind of given us a different perception you know what I mean like not necessarily being lumped in with being a Trump supporter and I'm definitely I you know I will say you know I'm not going to go political but I'm not a Trump supporter and I will tell you that and so I think in being so that has also you know, allowed for, we haven't really had much backlash ourselves. But in terms of immigration issues, um, they've definitely gotten stricter on visas. They have not been, um, the Mexican government has not been releasing visas in the same way that they used to. Um, it's mm -hmm. definitely a more involved process. Um, when you come into the country, they usually give you 180 days with no questions asked. But now mm -hmm. they're starting to, per their per the person's discretion, they'll give you 30 or 60 or 90. So some of those rules there's kind of a bit of a tit for tat kind of going on um, mm. a little bit. And, you know, if you don't know how to navigate that, you can get caught up in, you know, some of that. So uh, speaking of visas, I mean, uh, there's, it's one thing to go there as a tourist. It's a whole other ballgame to live there. So uh, what kind of visas did you go on and what kind of visas are you uh, attempting to stay on? So when we first came down, we came on what is a six-month tourist card. And right. that allows you 180 days in the country before you have to exit. And you don't have to go back to the U.S. You can go, you know, anywhere. But as long as you go out of the country and you can typically return within a few hours, you know, so some people okay. will just do what they call border runs. Um, yes. You know, they'll go to California or Texas. They'll take a cheap, you know, domestic flight to Tijuana and then they'll, you know, walk across the border and they'll come back in and get a new six month card. That's how we first came down. But when we realized that we did not want to have to do those border runs every six months, um, it gets expensive. Five of us having to do that every six months. Yeah. We did apply for what's called a temporal visa, um, which gives you one full year without having to do any border runs. And then after that full year, you can reapply for, you can apply for a renewal for up to four years. Um, so technically you don't have to go out of country for up to four years. You can stay in country for four years. Um, but that does require some income. You have to either prove that you have a certain amount of income 
uh, coming in every month through, you know, paycheck stubs. And that can come from the U.S. or wherever. The income can come from wherever. Um, but you have mm -hmm. to either show paycheck stubs as proof of income or you have to show savings, um, like bank statements for 12 months worth of, um, you know, savings in a bank at the specific level they deem for your family size. Um, with that visa, I cannot work here in Mexico. I don't have, um, I do not have a work, you can get a work stamp if a uh, place will sponsor you. So usually like schools, if they want English teachers, um, will sponsor you. But um, I cannot work here in Mexico, neither can my husband. Uh, so speaking of work, I mean, um, you are living there and you need money to pay for uh, food and accommodation and school, et cetera. So uh, tell us about the income streams that you've uh, generated uh, um, as an expat living there. So as we've been here, so I'm an author and a writer. So when we first made our way down here, um, one of the things I kind of focused on was doing um, work with other writers. So I'll do research or I'll do copy editing, proofreading, things like that. Um, I also have um, some residual income. I was in a, um, or I still am, I should say, I wasn't, was. I am still in um, a multi-level marketing program that I uh, started that income while I was actually still full-time at my job. So I do have some passive residual which, income. Uh, which company, by the way? Herbalife. A great company. Um, lose weight now. Ask me how. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I started that about three years ago. So I still have some clients that I work with remote. You know, I can do it remotely um, who, you know, they make their purchases. So I do get some residual and passive income from that. Um, but in addition to that, my husband is a, um, a speaker, a writer, and he has an online fitness program. And so he has subscriptions, so folks subscribe to his fitness program. He travels back and forth to the U.S. to do speaking engagements. Um, he writes articles and academic, um, you know, journals and things like that. Um, but now since we've made this transition most recently, I've actually started, um, I've started creating products and services and programs for other moms um, and dads who are looking to move abroad, helping them with the transition process. Um, so I'm looking to kind of open up that, you know, as another stream of income as, um, you know, in addition. I, I'm, I'm all for multiple streams of income. I don't see, you know, especially when you're a digital nomad, especially when you're mm -hmm. abroad, there's nothing wrong with having multiple streams of income that you can kind of pull from at any given time. So. Hmm. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, the speaking of the choir here, that's what we teach uh, on the podcast. Uh, we we uh, we teach it, but we also uh, interview guests, and almost all of them are are definitely making multiple streams. Um, some people are coaching or masterminding. Some people have online courses, affiliate marketing, e-commerce stores, uh, website design, graphic design. Literally, the the list is endless. And uh, a part of the reason we do these interviews is to show people. Uh, I mean, you mentioned things like a membership site and online uh, uh, fitness training, like uh, writing, editing, copywriting, like all these ways are a little bit out of the box that you don't traditionally think of uh, that you can generate. Uh, streams of income and even with network marketing we haven't really covered that topic too much detail but you can uh, do network marketing from anywhere around the world as well and uh, generate that all too uh, glorious passive income that we all want yes for sure yeah the, the possibilities are endless and I almost feel like when you're a digital nomad you you almost feel like you have more options because you have mm. more control over your time. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was sitting in the nine to five and I was sitting in traffic for a couple hours before and a couple hours after, I really only had a small window of time to do me. 
Whereas mm -hmm. now, you know, it's like there's 24 hours in a day. If I feel like working at 2 a.m., if something hits me and it wakes me up out of my sleep, I can work, you know. But if I want to take a nap at noon, I can. So it's, it's, it's nice having that time flexibility being, you know, a digital nomad. It gives you the opportunity to have multiple streams or multiple projects going on at once. So, Gabriella, tell us about the projects that you're developing. I mean, uh, those products are definitely uh, uh, things that people need, support uh, systems, because I, I don't know if you had a lot of support when you moved in terms of having products or listening to podcasts or videos or being coached, et cetera. So tell us about what you've developed to help other moms or dads or uh, people who want to uh, either relocate or uh, travel more. So, yeah, I did not have a whole lot of support. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was really just, it was really just, um, you know, Google. Google was, <laughs> Google was my best friend. And, um, you know, what I've come across um, in a lot of the groups, I'm in a lot of, you know, mom and travel groups. A lot of people want to move abroad, but they just really don't know where to start. Um, right. They might have an area that they want to go to, but they don't even know where to look for schools. They don't know where to look for work. They don't know where to, you know, what the visa process is. They don't even know that you need a visa. They're, some, of, some of them are still stuck. How do I get a passport? You know, it can be mm -hmm. as basic as that and so um, what I'm what I'm building is I, I get questions in my inbox all the time you know how much is cost of living how much is this mm. how did you do this how did you do that and so I'm in the process of creating some um, some packets already made so Mexico will be one of them that kind of goes through the cost of living where the schools add some links kind of doing some of the back research to help others like here's this packet of resources here are sites you can go to here are schools that are available here's types of work here's some remote work sites um, this is the visa process to give people kind of that like jump start to give them a boost so that they don't feel quite so you know quite so overwhelmed and then when folks are interested in other countries I'll happily do the research you know for them you know if they want just a little jump start I think we all need to do our own research too um, mm -hmm. but definitely at least doing some of the back research at least giving you know the websites the links the you know kind of frequently asked questions um, because it can be overwhelming it can definitely be something that keeps you from from making that journey just because you're overwhelmed at where to begin so yeah it is absolutely overwhelming. I mean, it's one thing to make the decision and be all excited and gung-ho about it, but it's a whole other thing to deal with the practicalities of selling a house and uh, getting rid of your stuff and uh, visas and uh, kids' issues and vaccinations and uh, learning a language. I mean, these are massive things. Uh, when you put them all together, it can be a it can cause more, a little bit more gray hairs and cause uh, much more stress. For sure, for sure, and that's kind of my, 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 what I want to do, my service, is to kind of, you know, bridge that gap, show women that they can have location independence, that they can work, um, you know, remotely, and they can make these, you know, dreams of traveling or living abroad um, a reality. It's just a matter of having that, you know, kind of that handhold and being that support to them. Even like I mentioned, the, the packet that's already up on my site, um, one is um, a four-month guide to how to move abroad, all the steps that I took and all the steps that you might need to take in order to move abroad. And another is 40 questions to ask yourself before moving abroad. So are you moving to the right place? What, what questions, you know, can you find schools? Can you find work? Can you learn how to speak the language? Do you mind sticking out and being a sore thumb if you're the only person, you know, that looks a certain way in a certain area? People might point at you. Are you okay with that? Are you ready for that? You know, so, you know, things you might not think about um, that you definitely need to ask yourself before making that transition. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, thank you so much for all these uh, great insights, very practical tips for people who want to poten uh, potentially uh, live overseas. So uh, if people wanted to connect with you online uh, to get those resources you just mentioned, uh, to maybe get some private coaching with you, how can they do that, Gabriella? Um, so you can definitely, they can definitely reach me through my website. It's www.lavidalindsay.com. It's L-A-V-I-D-A-L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Um, LavitaLindsay.com. There are um, some links right there on that site. Um, and then also we definitely, we have a Facebook page as well. So you can contact us through that. We're also on YouTube. And then of course, um, Gabriella Marigold Lindsay, I'm fine with friend requests on Facebook as well. So that's another way um, that I'm happy to connect. So she's made it. She's on the other side of the border, and she's made it on the other side of this decision. So if she can do it, so can you. Uh, you know, part of the reason we do these interviews is to help support. I mean, Lindsay mentioned the lack of support when she started, and uh, why we do these interviews is because there isn't enough support uh, for people who want to make their travel dreams, their living abroad dreams come true. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and make sure you connect with, Lin uh, with uh, uh, Gabriella on La Vida. Lindsay.com and uh, make sure you get those resources she mentioned and uh, as you can tell by this interview she's definitely very willing ready and able to help out support and give back and help your uh, living abroad dreams come true and you know you might end up in Mazatlan near Mazatlan like she is <laughs> definitely happy to see you here <laughs> So thanks, everyone. Uh, make sure you uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and on YouTube if you're listening and uh, watching this. We have both uh, the podcast on iTunes and we have the video cast on YouTube. Uh, so uh, we'll catch you in the next episode and make sure you make your travel dreams come true as well.